0: We don't need that to be our bread and butter anymore. We don't, in fact, want it to be our bread and butter anymore because we know people can get that done somewhere else. We need to distinguish ourselves as, as a profession, as practitioners, as being able to do other things.
1: Hello and welcome. You're listening to Health Careers with Dr. Marne, a podcast show that pulls back the curtain on what a career in health and wellness is really like. I'm your host, Dr. Richard Martin. So glad you're here. Thank you so much for joining me. So, in this episode we're going to talk with someone that has a career specializing in eyes. And there's actually a wealth of different opportunities in this profession. We will also learn about the 3 Os. We'll learn about the differences between optician, optometrist, and an ophthalmologist. We are going to be talking about a career in optometry or a career as, a, as an optometrist. So, The guest I have today is Dr. Habir Sian. He's an optometrist in Vancouver, Canada, and he's doing so many wonderful things to help people and patients in his chosen field. And so we're going to learn a little bit about that, and I think he's going to be a great guest where you can learn a real in-depth assessment of what it's like to be an optometrist. Before we jump into this, I'd like to say I really appreciate all your support and any feedback that you have provided me. As always, please do not forget to hit subscribe, hit like, or leave a five star rating, or even leave a comment on whether uh, whether you're listening on Apple Podcasts or Google Podcasts or Spotify or watching on YouTube, which I just recently started. You can also find me on Instagram and TikTok at Dr. Richard Marn. That's Dr. Richard Marn. If you didn't know that already. And if there's any topics that you'd like me to cover or anything that you'd like me to go a little bit more into detail or depth in, I'd love to hear from you and hear those suggestions. Dr. Harbir Sayan from British Columbia, Vancouver, Canada.
0: Thanks for joining me. Thank you for having me, Dr. Martin. Appreciate it.
1: <laughs> Please call me Richard.
0: Let's, if you don't mind, let's do first names. Absolutely. absolutely. I always want to make sure I start off on the right foot and I'll let you.
1: Awesome. Well, thank you, know. you. I appreciate that. Javier, could you please kind of give me a quick bio of yourself?
0: Yeah, absolutely.
1: I am an optometrist.
0: I live in Vancouver, as you said. did my undergrad here near Vancouver. I did my optometric education in Boston at the New England College of Optometry. Uh, graduated in 2010. And I now am co-owner of two practices in the Vancouver area.
1: Let's do some four quick questions. So someone gets an idea, a little bit about the profession. Sure. What does an optometrist do? Uh, that's a
0: pretty loaded question, but, you know, we like to look at ourselves as sort of primary eye care for eyes, right? And and that can go from obviously checking your vision, but of course, more importantly, eye health, treating a lot of different eye diseases um, and eye conditions.
1: Well, how does one become an optometrist? What's the typical steps to achieve that degree
0: four years of undergrad uh in whichever study you choose and uh you know matching all the prerequisites of course and then four years of optometry school um and you know eight years of university total and there's an optional one-year residency if you choose to specialize in a certain area okay and that's that's essentially as far as education side
1: got it uh what is the best part of your career
0: i think personally i feel like the best part is uh the variety, the potential variety if you choose to, right? You could practice as a sort of a more traditional family practitioner, or you mm-hmm. could specialize in different areas. Uh, there's opportunities to educate and to volunteer and all these other things. Uh, I think that would probably be the best thing for me.
1: And what's the least favorite part of your
0: profession? For me, it would be just doing the more, some of the more monotonous things. So, that which is better one or two i don't want to say i don't like doing it but yeah. if i was going to pick put that on or if i was going to rate it that would probably be near yeah. the bottom of the list i, I enjoy doing it because i know that at the end of it i'm going to be able to give most of the time patient clear vision and they'll be happy with what they're seeing literally uh but based on all the other things that I, i'm capable of doing that would probably be lower on the list
1: so let's kind of do a deep dive if you don't mind some of the other questions i had about your profession and your career what are the type of patients that you typically help, and what do you do to help them? There's a lot of different things. There's a lot of
0: variety to to my day to day job. Yeah. Um. So I'm treating that more middle of the road patient who's coming in for their routine eye exam. They, you know, they want to have their their prescription for glasses and contact lenses updated. We're changing their, you know, fine tuning their vision. We're looking at their ocular health and treating particular conditions, whether it's uh, glaucoma or ocular surface conditions and other things like that. Uh, there's the option to specialize in a lot of different areas, depending on where you practice. Mm-hmm. So unfortunately in Canada, our scope of practice is a little bit narrower than a lot of the States in the U S but again, glaucoma, but dry eye is a very big or ocular surface disease in general is a big area where a lot of patients, especially these days during COVID cooped up indoors or spending a lot of time on screens. Um, there's a lot of 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 things going on on the ocular surface, like dry eyes and inflammation yeah. and things like that, that we're treating in a lot of cool ways now. A lot of cool new devices and treatment options for patients in that realm. Um, if we're talking more about um, visual conditions, if we will, myopia or nearsightedness is a big is a common condition that we see uh, in a lot of people, a lot of kids. Um, there's a there's a pretty big increase in the number of people that we're seeing the prevalence of myopia now, hmm. and so we're looking at. There's um, sort of a subspecialty there of my- myopia management, we call it, where we're able to slow down the progression of nearsightedness so a child doesn't end up having high nearsightedness in the long term. And that could help potentially um, you know, improve their health or health outcomes as well as the visual outcomes in the long term. So there's a, there's a lot of different things that I personally like to do, and there's a lot of options out there if you're practicing in the U.S., um, you know there 's options for potentially using lasers or other techniques uh, to help patients with different conditions, so it depends on how you like to practice for me. I like to keep my day I like to keep a, a lot of variety to my days to keep myself on my toes and, and yeah. look look forward to the next day and all the different things I can do
1: Are you helping a ra- wide range of ages as well In- yeah yeah so we 're seeing kids uh,
0: the youngest age that we usually see is six months and that 's normally a not a very in-depth eye exam. That's usually to look for very specific things. Maybe they have red eyes or watery eyes or something like that. Yeah. But uh, essentially from that age, all the way up to, I believe the oldest patient I've seen is around a hundred, so, give or take a year. <laughs> give or take. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, we'll see the full range, you know. And um, if if there's a condition that I'm not able to treat, then of course, we're going to talk uh, talk a little bit about this as well. But we refer to our our, our medical colleagues, our op- ophthalmology colleagues.
1: What's your typical day like as an optometrist? I mean, when do you come in? When do you leave? You know, how many patients you see? I mean, what's the typical day like for you? I know there's no typical day, but on average, what can you expect? Yeah, you know what? These days, actually, my days have become
0: more structured and more predictable, which I mm. kind of like. You know, when I was a little bit younger, I liked the things were all over the place you know when our businesses were in earlier days you're staying later and all that kind of thing yeah yeah i i can tell you a little bit about those days if you'd like but these days usually get in the office around nine maybe a little earlier um and i'm there till about five it's pretty pretty much like a nine to five these days for me which is i never thought it would be <laughs> um you know so i'm coming in around nine and um seeing these varieties of patients. So I usually pull up my schedule first thing so I can get mentally prepared for the day. Something I learned from an ophthalmologist um, in Florida when I was, was doing my internship down there. He's He showed me that he would always have his list of patients prepared for him and highlighted to show that he's got this type of surgery or this type of treatment or whatever. So he's mentally in the right space for it all. I like to do that myself as well. And then, you know, I'm seeing patients to lunch, which is usually, you know, one-ish. Lunch doesn't always exist. You know, it's, it's sort of a theoretical space on the, on the schedule, but it, it could easily be filled with patients if it has to be. Um, and then, you, like I said, we're usually wrapping up around 5, 5.30, you know, maybe later, depending on what's happened in the day. I like to try to get home in time for dinner. I have two young kids, as you know, and it's really nice to be home for dinner, everybody at dinner time together. So that, that's my average day these days.
1: So, we talk about what your typical day is like, but you said it was a little different than before. What was it like before and why? what happened? That, in other words, why are there different types of days for you as an optometrist from before and where it is now?
0: Yeah, well, first of all, you know, before I was my uh, a practice, I mean, there's maybe three stages that I could describe to you. Now, the one I just described to you is me as a little bit more of an established business owner. We have staff that run things uh, yep. more efficiently. I have a couple of associate doctors that cover these other days that I don't have to work late anymore. Um, as often, once in a while, I still do. But um, that that stage is very new. You know, that's maybe in the last year or so. It's it's very recent. Um, the stage that preceded that, um, which was the bulk of my, I've been practicing for about almost 11 years now. Mm-hmm. So, the, the bulk of that, you know, 11 years was early business owner, first in one clinic, and then we opened the second clinic a few years later. So I was in that early business owner stage for a while.
1: Yeah.
0: And there you're, you're having to do a lot of stuff yourself. So you come in, in early, you're trying to get a bunch of stuff done, then you're staying late because you got to get a bunch of other stuff done, um, you know, staff training or whatever it might be. Um, you're covering days that other, you know, that I'm not having to cover these days. Um, so my schedule used to be quite different. There were days that I would work until 8 p.m., uh, you know, just because we had we have a late days on the schedule, um, I was doing those days. So th- that was that middle period, and then what came before that was me working not as a business owner, but just as an associate at someone else's practice. And uh-huh. I, that at that time, I was not married, no kids, I had a lot of free time, so I worked a lot um, in different capacities. So that middle section where I was the business owner, I was working on my own business a lot of those extra hours um, but pre- before that I was just working to make money pay off bills debt whatever so I was working 6-7 days a week in someone else's practice got just it just because I had all the I had nothing better to do so I was like I'll just go work I'll just go make some extra money um, and I'm glad I did saved up some money in those first few years and helped through the first few years of being a business i
1: you let you to get to where you are now yeah got it what are some typical misconceptions people have about your profession?
0: I would say the most common
1: misconception is
0: that as an optometrist, I'm just doing the one or two, which is better one or two. I'm just checking vision. Mm. Um, you know, uh, and we we get that even now on a daily basis. Patients will come in like, well, I just want my glasses updated. And that's fine because that is, of course, you could even say a cornerstone of what we do, but it's definitely not these days. It's not even... A big piece of it. It's a small piece of what we do. Yeah. Optometry is it has a very broad scope of practice for the most part, and you know we like to look at ourselves. And we are healthcare practitioners, not just checking vision. Uh, and so that that would probably be the most common misconception. And a lot of students will ask, you know, like, is the profession growing? Is it is it declining? Is all is that all you do? Like one or two, one or two, and now depending on your scope, your, excuse me, your, your mode of practice, that may be actually a big part of what you do. So one of our offices is actually next door to a lens crafters. And often if you practice in that type of a setting, especially depending on which state you're in, you may just be spinning the dial for the most part. Right.
1: Mm. Uh, but we, when you mean spinning the dial, what do you, what do you just, I mean, I mean,
0: you know, that, you go behind that device that everybody knows, you know, the Justin, big black device, the big black, you know, Justin Timberlake, the 2020 experienced cover photo. Got I it. might I might be aging myself now. I feel like that's been a while since Justin Timberlake <laughs> put that, uh, that album up, but you know, that's called a four, four PH P H P H O R four opter. And um, that's what I mean by spinning the dials. Cause that thing's loaded with a bunch of lenses and you're, you're switching, flipping the dials to, to check a patient's vision. And often in that office, a chunk of my day will be quickly checking somebody's vision so they can go get their glasses. But spinning we, the dial. Spinning the dials. But
1: another lingo. The, yeah.
0: But we set up that practice as well when we opened it to really be more as focused on medical as we could, as mm-hmm. well as doing as well as spinning the dials. Yeah. And then our second practice is a private practice where we really focus on the health side and then we also do the spinning the dials thing. So it, it really depends on what you want to focus on. But the the profession as a whole has really moved away from just checking your vision. You know, in BC, we've almost been forced, forced to do it in the last 10 or so years because regulatory changes have made it so patients can get their vision checked in other places, not just from optometrists. So we don't need that to be our bread and butter anymore. We don't, in fact, want it to be our bread and butter anymore because we know people can get that done somewhere else. We need to distinguish ourselves as as a profession, as practitioners, as being able to do other things. So I would say that's probably the biggest misconception still is that an optometrist's job is to just spin the dials where it's actually got so much more to it.
1: Got it. Well, speaking a little bit about that, there's several optical professions that people are aware of. And the main three ones that I at least come to mind for myself is an optician, an optometrist, and ophthalmologist. Can you please describe the differences and similarities between those, Harbier, and also if it's different in terms of their role and functions of uh, whether you're in Canada or the u s
0: sure that's a great question and, and and actually those are the three we call them the three O's
1: oh okay so, yeah well, All that's
0: right. that's another eye uh, <laughs> I- I care lingo for you there the three O's so opticians optometrists, ophthalmologists they're very different different in many ways, but there is also some overlap. Uh, Let's start with opticians. So opticians are sort of masters of the, uh, call it the refractive arts, you know, so that they're, they're the ones who understand or trained in um, optics, lenses, whether Mm -hmm. that's glasses, lenses, potentially contact lenses, depending on their training. So, um, you know, I don't want to minimize what an optician does, right? Because it's easy to say, well, they're the ones who make your glasses, but they have to be, you know, I know a lot of opticians, some are good friends of mine, and they know stuff about lenses and glasses and optics better, far better than I do. That's their, they, they really know that well. And they know if somebody comes in with a high prescription or a complicated prescription, what type of lens to put them in, how it's going to look on their face, when the frame is tilted, you know, we call it pantoscopic tilt and wrap and all these other things. They know how to calculate all these things to make sure they're limiting aberrations, distortions, and things so patients can see as well as possible. So that's what their, their focus is, is on the optics. And, you know, one thing, as I'm mentioning, in BC, one of the things there, there's some overlap. About 10 years ago, there was a lot of deregulation. In fact, the entire eye care industry was practically completely deregulated. and In
1: Canada or in, US in, or both?
0: Just in BC, actually. Okay. Just in British Columbia. Um, so none of the other provinces. And I think since then, maybe the deregulation has hit one, maybe Ontario. I'm not 100% sure. Uh, but not anywhere in the US, although there have been some whispers of some changes, FTC changes that are leaning towards that, but not, not there yet. Hopefully it doesn't get there. But in 2010, our government, BC provincial government, decided... Now, a patient no longer needs to see any type of doctor to get, or any kind of eye care provider, period, to get a valid prescription before they can buy glasses or contacts. Hmm. And that okay. changes. I'm going to go off on a bit of a tangent here, Richard, because this is a, I, I was hugely vocal about this 10 years ago, and I, now I'm like a little more subdued, but i still like to make sure that the words out there. Okay. You know, as an advocate for my profession. Um, yeah. The government decided it was in the public's best interest to to not have to go get your eyes checked uh, to go buy a pair of glasses or contact lenses. And then contact lenses are classified as a medical device, but a patient now, and since 2010 can go online. And it's this entire change was motivated and advocated and pushed through by, by an online company based here in Vancouver. Uh huh. Um, and so they were the ones who obviously benefited from this change. So um, since 2010, I can go online and punch in whatever number I want and buy whatever contact lens is offered, no matter what the material, no matter how old, no no matter how poorly it permeates oxygen. So I can do that and they'll be at my door tomorrow or the day after. Okay. And same goes with glasses. You know, I can go and use my five-year-old glasses prescription and buy glasses online and just put in whatever pupil distance number I need without worrying about optical height which as any optometrist and optician will tell you is just as important as pupil distance horizontally vertically you need to know where your eyes sit in a frame Mm -hmm. i can order those whatever i want without any validation um and so that's been that's been the case here in bc for about 10 years and so since that happened we're like okay look we fought it it didn't get reversed now we have to adapt and that was part of the broadening our scope, really telling patients, look, we're not just giving you your glasses prescription because now apparently you don't need that anyways. We're going to check the health of your eyes. We're going to do all these other things and and offer these other specialties that we didn't offer before. And so, you know, opticians can refract. One of those changes that happened there was opticians can spin the dials. Before that, they weren't able to do that. Mm, Um, and And that's fine. You know what? They're trained. So I'm okay with that. They get trained to do that. It's infinitely better than somebody just going online and buying a pair of glasses that they don't have a prescription for. Got it. Um, They are trained to do it. So great. So that's one of the overlaps. Sorry to go in on a tangent. I'm going to bring you back to the three O's here. So one of the overlaps between an optician and optometrist is that we both do the foropter, the refraction to check your vision. Got it. That's kind of where the overlap will stop, you know, opt- optometrist offices will re- dispense glasses, but we'll usually hire trained opticians to do it. So, they kind of still have that as their their realm. Opticianary program is usually a six-month diploma. I think it's about six months, maybe a year, depending on where you are. Um, it's a six-month diploma program. Mm-hmm. Uh, then optometrist, that second O is, as I described to you earlier, a four-year bachelor's and then a four-year graduate program, doctor of optometry degree. So it's eight years of university.
1: And, and your degree you get, by the way, is a uh, an OD, correct? OD, yeah. Doctor of optometry,
0: DO would make sense. But of course, DOs are doctors of osteopathy, right? So yeah. is that is that correct? Yes. That? Yeah. yeah, I think so. so. Uh, So we osteopathic doctor, doctor doctor
1: doctor. of osteopathy.
0: Yeah. So we're optometrists, doctors of optometry, OD degree is a designation. So we have the four years undergrad, four years of optometry uh, schooling. And that four years is uh, a small piece of it is spent learning refraction, a very small piece. And then a majority is spent learning the different types of ocular disease, Mm. contact lens specialties, other types of treatments, co-management with ophthalmology, uh, all sorts of other things that we get trained on these days. Students are getting trained on doing certain, um, small procedures, lid procedures, even laser therapies and things like that. So pretty cool what they're learning these days, injectables, um, you know, um, subconjunctival, uh, subcutaneous injections, things like that, that they're able to do now, um, that I didn't get trained on. Um, and I'm okay not doing those things anyways. Um, you know so so we go from the refraction spinning the dials to treating ocular diseases diagnosing ocular diseases and then that part overlaps with ophthalmology but we stop at some of the more significant diseases some of the uh, the, the treatments and and uh, procedures that would be more invasive more mm. more involved and that's where ophthalmology takes over so ophthalmologists are medical doctors, medically yes. trained, right? So they graduate from medical school. They do their residency and fellowship in ophthalmology. So, of course, very highly trained and specialized in their area of, of specialty and subspecialty in many cases, right? So you have your your general ophthalmologist who will see some of the stuff that overlaps with what I do, treating glaucoma, diagnosing these diseases, treating ocular surface issues, and then they will do their specialty of um, treating the more difficult diseases and doing surge cataract surgery potentially laser surgery stuff like that lid procedures and then within that ophthalmology realm there's subspecialized yes, retinal yeah. retinal specialists corneal specialists and and all these other things mm-hmm. and and all of that will depend on their their residency and fellowship so so those are the 3Os as you as you see there there's some overlap yeah. but but some pretty defined spaces as well that that each of us practice in
1: as an optometrist you are actually doing a number of procedures if you choose to do so. That's right. Do you ever see blood? Rarely. Oh, okay.
0: Uh, not. <laughs> it's, it's, I did just the other day, um, but it's rare from, from a procedure that I'm doing. It's rare that I would cause any external bleeding. Um, yes. Not yesterday. This week though, I had to remove a piece of metal from somebody's eye and it was right at the limbus. The limbus is the, the edge of the cornea, which is the clear dome over the front mm-hmm. of the part of the eye. It's the edge of, it's where the cornea meets the white part, well, the coating or the covering over the white part of the eye, which is a conjunctiva. And there are blood vessels that go in the white part of the eye and they end right at the edge of the cornea, right at the limbus. And so this guy had a piece of metal right at the limbus. And as I removed it, you know, there was a little blood vessel right next to it. So, that that was broken. So, there was a tiny bit of bleeding there externally, but that that healed up pretty quick.
1: Some students get a little squeamish with blood. So, I want to know if that was a big deal in your profession. Doesn't seem like it. It's not. I mean, that was
0: one patient in like every few years, maybe I'll see a little bit of blood. It's very
1: Got it. How would you describe your work-life balance as an optometrist? And I think we kind of talked about it already. You have a much more, you know, nine-to-five profession. Is that is that pretty much so when you your weekends are off as well if you choose to yes
0: it's uh, it's definitely possible i would say as a as an uh younger doctor if you want to be busy if you want to um often actually it's a re- almost a requirement if you're trying to t- get a job you'll likely have to work saturday saturdays are the busiest days for um, most okay. offices just because it's the day off you especially know, when you're working,
1: when you're first starting out.
0: Especially when you're first starting out. In fact, I did, as I was mentioning earlier, seven days a week for a little bit. I would do seven day stints. So I was even working Sundays a good chunk of time. Um, but if you find the right job or after you've worked a little while, you're, you kind of work your way into a certain level where you get to choose. Right. Uh, yeah, it can just be a Monday to Friday uh, or whatever four or five days of the week you want it to be. And it can be nine to five. Um, Got it. Having said that, if you have a thrill for loading your you know, loading your schedule and filling your plate with all sorts of different things, it offer offers you opportunity to do that too, right? Whether yeah. that's teaching and, and and educating or volunteering or starting your own business, whatever it is, so you can do all those things.
1: What is the most rewarding part of your job and could you give an example of where that happened for you with regard to a patient?
0: With regards to a patient. So I really personally I, I love the interactions that I have with my patients,
1: yeah,
0: day to day—that's one of my just favorite things on a daily basis. That that balances out some of the monotony that that comes with any any job. One of the reasons, actually, I think you might ask me about this, so I won't go into too much depth. But um, one of the reasons I became an optometrist was the optometrist that I was volunteering was very personable with his patients. So, um, and, and so I always looked at that and I said, okay, this is something that aligns with my personality. I'd like to engage, and mm. um, I love doing that. So. On a on a smaller I guess or on a daily scale daily basis I love that part of the job but one of the most rewarding things is is treating um, ocular surface issues. First of all, patients have most of these patients that I see who have dry eye or ocular surface issues. They've been dealing with them for a long time yeah. and they haven't been diagnosed correctly or they've been just they've been told here just use these eye drops they'll help you and the drops will help temporarily, but they don't mm-hmm. fix the, the root cause of the problem and they don't they don't make the patient feel better in the long term. So we've been focusing on this dry eye, ocular surface realm in our practices for a little while. And just by hearing the patient, like these, these symptoms that people have with ocular surface disease, they've been ranked up as high as like some pretty severe systemic, you know, I saw one thing where somebody rated their dry eye effect that their dry eye has on quality of life it ranked as high as having like severe angina or something like that like so, crazy wow. like just because it affected their ability to focus it gave them headaches they couldn't see well it just their quality of life it's a sensitive like, it organ extremely sensitive yeah extremely so so i've had some of these patients right and they've been suffering like this for years mm-hmm. and so to be able to resolve those symptoms and treat that condition using the different treatment options that we have and maybe even taking a step back from that, just hearing them out because for years they've been told, oh, it's just dry eye, it's just dry eye. Listening to them and saying, I get it. Let me show you what's going on. Mm. Let me show you these pictures of your eyes. Here's the issue. Here's what we're going to do to fix it. And then if we actually, if I stop there, the patient says, thank you so much, you know? But then we actually go ahead and fix it. Then they're like, want to hug you. So those are the rewarding, pe- those are re- rewarding experiences. And we're having those pretty frequently now as we're starting to diagnose and treat those issues.
1: Changing gears a little bit, the outlook of your profession. In a few years, what do you think the future is going to hold for your profession? Does it look pretty positive, pretty stable? Is it declining? What's your impression?
0: There are always people in our profession who are looking out for the growth and the best of the profession, who are always looking to see what's a new endeavor, what's a new frontier, and I'd like to to be one of those people as much as I can to advocate for the profession. I think there is growth. There are some areas that are maybe shrinking, but there are at the same rate, if not greater, faster pace growing. And that's those things about, I was telling you about myopia management and dry eye disease and people are using lasers and all these other things. Our profession is evolving. And so generally speaking, I would say it's growing. Mm-hmm. Maybe not as fast as it has grown in the past, but if somebody's looking into going into it, I would encourage you to look at it as a profession that's evolving and as a profession that has, has sort of a new face to it, you know, treating eye, eye diseases and as, as a healthcare practitioner versus traditionally looked at as someone who just spins the dials.
1: What I want to do now is really change our conversation a little bit. I want to jump into these rapid fire questions I have just mm, for you. Love it. All right, you ready? Let's do it. Let's do it. All right. Favorite sport to watch? Football, NFL. Favorite sport to play? Hopefully not the same answer. Soccer. (laughs) Least favorite type of movie genre you like to watch? Least
0: favorite. Horror. Horror movie.
1: Oh, I would agree with that. (laughs) What has been your most favorite vacation? Thailand. Nice. Can you touch your toes without bending your knees? Mm -mm. No chance. (laughs) (laughs) Your ideal outside temperature? Celsius or Fahrenheit, uh, like 30,
0: 30 Celsius, eh, 20, so that's probably, I don't know, we're we talking about like mid-80s, mid-80s,
1: You know, let's calculate that later on.
0: Yeah, somewhere <laughs> around there. I think mid to high 80s, something like that. Summer, summer weather.
1: Summer weather. It, warm enough to be on a beach with your shirt off, let's put Got it that way. It. Um, were you raised in abundance, modesty, or poverty? Modesty. What is your least favorite attribute about yourself?
0: Interesting. Patience, patience. Uh, I'm working on being more patient.
1: Love it. You know, me too, Harbir. Me too. And finally, what is one thing you do that people marvel at? Oh, I don't know. In your most humblest way that you could mm. communicate this? I guess that people
0: people ask me like how I do all the things I do. I don't know. Uh, maybe, maybe they are impressed by my ability to do a lot of different things.
1: How uh, you juggle it at all. Yeah, I guess so. Well, fantastic. Which, which
0: if I can add something, I'm not the one juggling all the things. Uh, blessed to have a, a wife who's extremely supportive and other family members, my parents and so on who are, you know, emotionally supportive. So yeah. it's not just me.
1: You have a good support system. Absolutely.
0: And very important. So I'd highly encourage anyone listening Develop that support system, whether it's your friends or your family. Have good people around you.
1: Which is a little interesting segue to my last question, which is: Where can listeners go to reach you and learn more about you? So let's talk a little bit about that. What you have a bunch of different projects going on, Javier. Mm-hmm. What can you tell us a little bit about what you're doing? I mean, you obviously have a career as an optometrist, but what are you also doing as well? And, and I know we talked about this before we started recording but you could you talk to us a little bit about what you're, what you're doing right now as an optometrist and how you're helping people?
0: Absolutely. Thank you. Um, first, uh, you can find me on social media. I'm, I'm kind of frequent, <laughs> frequently active on social media, most commonly or most often on Instagram at harbiersyan.od. I have a YouTube channel, youtube.com slash OD, And, uh, LinkedIn, if you're some of these, I'm, I'm guessing some, some people in the audience might some not people, be on LinkedIn, yeah. maybe some are, uh, but Instagram would be the place to find me. And um, so I, I like creating content in the, in the educational form. I'm not so much the um, dancey musical type of person on social media. I'm more so like, Hey, let me tell you a little bit about this, you know, this thing that I can, I can help you with. I love educating. So social media gives me an outlet for that. I do um, speak and, and um, present for, for certain companies within our industry, also finding that as a form of education. But the thing that I'm most excited about right now is my eyewear brand was bought out by a company called Lensbox, which is just emerging right now. It's coming out. And um, one role that I was honored to take on is um, <coughs> executive director of the Lensbox Foundation. And our foundation is is going to try to reach a lot of people. Uh, we're in the early stages but we're, we're looking to provide mental health resources to eye care providers. We're looking to reduce the environmental impact of our industry through recycling programs and different things that we are partnering with uh, certain companies on. And um, the third one is to con- continue to do uh, eye care types of outreach, providing eye care resources for patients who don't have access, you know, and maybe in more remote areas, indigenous populations, things like that. So yeah. that's what I'm like super excited about doing now for the next p- you know, probably 12 months or so is where a lot of my focus is going to be.
1: It's a new project that you're involved in. It it's is. awesome. Yeah. It's a lot of, those are some lofty goals, but awesome. Yeah. And if you can get it done, that'd be great. Thank you. Thanks for joining me, man. I really appreciate you coming on this episode. Thank you so much,
0: Richard. Appreciate it.
1: All right, everybody, that's our show today. Thanks for tuning in. To learn more about today's guests or other past guests, just check out my website, healthcareerswithdrmarn.com or hcwithdrmarn.com. Of course, if you like what you heard on this podcast, then please go to my website, add your name and email to my email list. That way you can get the latest announcements and news as they arise. You can also find me on Instagram at drrichardmarn. That's Dr. Richard Marn. Thank you so much for listening and catch you on the next episode.